Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Tervita Second Quarter Results Conference Call. Note that at this time, all lines are in the listen-only mode. But following the presentations, we will conduct a question and answer session. If at any time during this call you require immediate assistance, please press star zero for an operator. Also note that the call is recorded on Thursday, July 30th, 2020. And I would like to turn the conference over to Mr. John Cooper, President and Chief Executive Officer. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Sylvie, and welcome everyone to Tervita's conference call for the second quarter of 2020. We do hope everyone is safe and well today, and as a result of our office staff working from home in response to COVID-19, we come to you not from our conference room, but instead from each one of our homes. We do hope we do not have any technical issues, but if we do, we hope you'll bear with us. Joining me on the call today is Linda Dietschy, our Chief Financial Officer, and Rob Dawson, our Executive Vice President of Strategy and Corporate Development. During the call today, we will make forward-looking statements related to future performance, and we will refer to certain financial measures that do not have any standardized meaning prescribed by GAAP. The forward-looking statements reflect the current views of Tervita with respect to future events and are based on certain key expectations and assumptions considered reasonable by Tervita. Since forward-looking information address future events and conditions, by their very nature, they involve inherent risks and uncertainties and actual results could differ materially from those anticipated due to numerous factors and risks. Please refer to our continuous disclosure documents as they identify factors which may cause actual results to differ from any forward-looking statements and identify and define the non-GAAP measures. This morning, we will review our results for Q2 2020 and how we are managing the current environment. Before getting into our results, first and foremost, we are very happy to say that all of our Tervetians remain safe and healthy and that none of our operations have been directly impacted by COVID-19. This is largely due to our quick response in enacting our business continuity plan and forming an internal COVID-19 team late in Q1 to implement and communicate safety measures to ensure those who who can work from home are safely doing so and that operations are following government and public health regulations to keep our staff and our customers safe. Our COVID-19 plan has been successful from what we've heard from employees our customers and vendors, and that we didn't miss a beat in adapting our operations and and have been providing timely communication to ensure everyone is aware of what's going on. Well, Q2 was one we will never forget. Between the COVID-19 health crisis, the price of WTI dropping below zero, drilling activity hitting historic lows, and producers shutting in more than a million barrels a day in Western Canada, it was truly unchartered territory. I am very proud of the resilience and perseverance of our industry, our company, and our people. We're no strangers through adversity. We've proven time and time again that we rise up 
in the face of challenges. During these times, focus also turns to liquidity and balance sheet strength. We entered the second quarter with 232 million of liquidity, essentially flat to Q1 despite the difficult conditions comprised of cash and unutilized credit facility capacity and have proactively taken measures to reduce our structural costs for an expected 30 to 34 million of unannualized savings. As we move through the downturn, we continue to relentlessly review our costs and will continue to execute opportunities to reduce costs and improve efficiencies. Our senior debt is not due until December 2021. We are actively looking at various options and are very confident that we will be able to address the refinancing well before its maturity. We are pleased with Tervita's second quarter results, which underscores the benefits of having production-based exposure to the energy business and the diversification provided by our industrial business as well as our continued focus on driving efficiencies across the business. Our aggressive cost control measures allowed us to preserve adjusted EBITDA margin, excluding the Canadian emergency wage subsidy at 30% despite a 50% decrease in revenue year over year. So now, Linda will walk us through the key highlights from our Q2 results, then Rob will review our capital program and liquidity, And finally, I'll move into the actions we've taken in the current environment and outlook for the remainder of the year. Linda? Thanks, John. Adjusted EBITDA for the second quarter was $45 million, a 15% decrease from prior year as the impact of lower production volumes and drilling activity in our energy services business was partially offset by $14 million of Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy, or CEWS, benefits from the cost savings initiatives, and strong industrial services results. In energy services, revenue excluding energy marketing and divisional EBITDA both decreased by 49% from the prior year to 59 million and 29 million respectively, as shut-in production volumes and a significant decline in drilling activity reduced volumes into our waste facilities. This decline in volumes was partially offset by cost savings initiatives and contributions from our growth capital projects. It was largely due to our strategic cost control and location optimization initiatives that divisional EBITDA margins remained strong and stable at 49% despite the decrease in revenue. In industrial services, performance was strong with $10 million of divisional EBITDA representing a 67% increase over prior year in spite of a 10% revenue decline. The decline in revenue was primarily due to reduced ferrous metal prices and lower volumes, which were managed to optimize price realization. Divisional EBITDA strength was driven by increased project activity, continued benefits of our business optimization, and cost savings initiatives. In the quarter, we participated in the CEWS program that the federal government introduced to help employers protect jobs. Trevita was able was eligible for the first four application periods spanning March 15th to July 4th and has recognized $14 million of subsidy in the second quarter. In response to the pandemic and energy collapse, we immediately implemented numerous cost savings measures to preserve our financial position, and we continue to expect to decrease structural costs by 30 to 34 million on an annualized basis. 
These structural actions include items such as employee headcount reductions and location optimization throughout our network. At the same time, we implemented multiple actions to drive in-year savings, including reductions to the Board of Directors cash retainer and executive leadership team salaries, as well as reducing discretionary spending. We remain on track with the structural cost reductions and continue to explore every avenue to reduce costs. I will now pass it to Rob to discuss our capital program and liquidity position. Thank you, Linda. Um, with regards to the capital program, I am very happy to say that our Montney water facility that became fully operational late in the first quarter is performing well and played a very significant part in our recent increases in market share as measured by third-party water injection. Our Q2 capital additions of $13 million in the quarter and $33 million for the year to date are made up primarily of the completion of the pipe of this pipeline connected facility, as well as increasing disposal well capacity in other regions and increasing our blending capabilities. As well, we continue to purchase industrial services equipment in, in support of incremental long-term customer back contracts and as well as our regular maintenance program. Our maintenance additions for the quarter and year-to-date remain in line with the prior year. We remain on track with our 2020 capital plan of $60 million. Half of our 2020 budget is largely directed to the completion of expected high-return carryover projects initiated last year and a modest amount towards targeted high-impact growth projects but low cost within the industrial services business. We have reduced costs and continue to maintain financial discipline while also ensuring we are positioned to capitalize on opportunities to deploy growth capital when and if they arise. Tervita continues to work with customers to meet their needs in this time of tight capital discipline and further assist them in maximizing the value they receive from our services. We do have a pipeline of opportunities available and in the current market environment, we have paused major new growth cut growth projects to focus on maintaining our strong liquidity position. However, we do continue to actively look for ways to support our competitive strategy, including increasing market share and growth within industrial services. Looking forward, we will continue to monitor activity levels as the year progresses and revise our plan accordingly. With respect to liquidity, we remain focused on financial discipline and protecting our strong liquidity position. We close the second quarter with liquidity of $232 million of cash and unutilized capacity on our credit facility, which is stable with our liquidity level at the end of the first quarter and is actually an increase from the beginning of the year. Our US $590 million senior notes are not due until December 2021. We are actively pursuing the refinancing of these notes and we remain confident in our ability to achieve a very good result. Demonstrating strong, stable results like we have today are obviously very helpful in this endeavor. We continue to live within cash flow and expect to remain within our covenant thresholds for the remainder of the year. I will now turn it back to John to address how we are managing the current environment and our outlook for the remainder of the year. Thanks, Rob. Um, Tervita responded quickly to the uh, changing environment, putting in place safety protocols to protect the health and welfare of our employees and stakeholders from the risks of the COVID-19 virus outbreak, followed by substantial reductions to our cost base and capital spending plans. Uh, as a result of acting very quickly, we did not suffer any interruptions to services or our capability to handle our customers' requirements due to the pandemic outbreak. We continue to ex 
execute very, very well in our strategy to be the top choice value-added provider. We are yet to see much visibility emerge for the second half of the year. However, there have been green shoots with the climbing and stabilizing price of WTI through June and July, which has led to our producers and customers returning over half of the previously shut-in volumes back online. Assuming the continuation of this current economic condition, we expect the back half of the year to be stronger than the first half. While we cannot control the macro environment, we can and have taken numerous steps to keep our people safe, reduce our costs, capture market share profitably, and protect liquidity. Our energy services business remains strongly underpinned by ongoing production in the WCSB, which has recovered more quickly than drilling activity. Our industrial service business, while impacted by the COVID-19 downturn, is less exposed to the upstream oil and gas industry, as you can see in our Q2 results. And we expect to continue to see the benefit of this non-energy exposure. Over the last three years, we have relentlessly reviewed the costs within the organization to streamline and right-size the business in alignment with our priority of being the top choice low-cost service provider. The steps we have taken since 2016 to strengthen our business have significantly improved our stability and our resiliency. These proactive measures positioned us well entering into this downturn. As we mentioned earlier, in immediate response to the downturn, we took numerous actions which we anticipate will decrease structural costs up to $34 million on an annualized basis. We remain on track with these reductions and continue to look for and execute opportunities to reduce costs further, improve efficiencies, and ensure all open and operating facilities are generating positive cash flows. Safety, service quality, and regulatory compliance are paramount to us. Our reduction in costs as well as our reduced capital budget will not compromise our commitment to safety or environmental regulations. As Linda mentioned, in the second quarter, we participated in the CHOOSE program and recognized $14 million. This program was recently extended to December 2020 with modifications to the eligibility and subsidy provided. We will continue to apply to the program as eligible. In April, the government announced a $1.7 billion fund to accelerate orphan well abandonment and site rehabilitation. We expect the program will provide opportunities to Tervita including work through the Orphan Well Association for which Tervita is a prime contractor and the British Columbia Oil and Gas Commission for which Tervita is an approved decommissioning contractor. Tervita has the largest portfolio of landfills in Western Canada and connection with our environmental services business, we are well, well positioned to work closely with customers across BC, Alberta and Saskatchewan to access and remediate their oil field liabilities. Working with producers and government agencies, we have submitted applications for the early phase of these programs in all three provinces. The energy industry continues to face headwinds. However, we remain very optimistic about the opportunities in front of us to leverage our infrastructure and create efficiencies for customers. I'm extremely happy with the work we have done this quarter 
Our people are the reason we are a leader in the industry and why we are so successful driving continuous improvement on behalf of customers and on behalf of shareholders. Lastly, I would like to take the opportunity to again thank our employees for their extraordinary efforts and dedication during these unprecedented times. We are very, very proud of our team and how they demonstrate resiliency and adaptability through these times. Um, that concludes our prepared remarks. We would be happy to now take some questions. Thank you, Mr. Cooper. Ladies and gentlemen, Q&A is now open. If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. And should you decide to withdraw your question, simply press star followed by 2. And if you're using a speakerphone, we do ask that you please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Please go ahead and press star 1 now if you have any questions. And your first question, sir, will be from Greg Coleman. Please go ahead. Hey, John. How are you? Good, Greg. How are you? Very well, thanks. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, thanks for the outlook as well. Um, I wanted to start with that. On your outlook, you mentioned that you expect the second half activity to be stronger than the first half, and I wanted to unpack that a little bit. Your first half reported EBITDA was $94 million, which includes the Q's impact, um, the Canadian you know, uh, employment wage subsidy, I think, or $84 million excluding Q's. Are you saying that you expect H2 EBITDA to be in excess of that $94 million if we include Q's or greater than the $84 million if we exclude Q's? Yes. Well, that's a very frank answer. Perfect. Can you talk <laughs> to us a little bit about no, – no, that's exactly what I just wanted to clarify. That's – boom, bang on. Can you talk to us about the rate of the implementation of your annualized cost savings, the 30 to $34 million? Did you uh, – did we see the full impact of that in, in Q2? Or was it phased in? Do we see the full impact in Q3, not until Q4? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we, uh, when the COVID crisis hit and the oil collapse, we uh, um, implemented very quickly uh, into the later part of March and into April. Um, so our actions were taking place in, in that period of time and a little spillover into May. So we, we gained a lot of benefits in Q2, but it's natural, Greg, that we're going to have some spillover into Q3. It's very hard to kind of, you know, put a pin in that actual number. But all to say, when you stand back and look at it, we are very confident in the, um, you know, the 34 million annualized, and I think it's up to 26 million this year. We're very, very confident of that number. Got it. Okay. And then just diving into Qs for a little bit. Um, how should we be thinking about that benefit in Q3 and Q4 compared to the $14 million we saw in Q2 based on what you know of the program today? We all know that it's changing, but we do have at least some goalposts today as to how it looks like, and based on your expectations on activity and whatnot. Can you give us some, some ideas for Q3 and Q4 on that? Yeah, we do know it'll be less, like, going forward. I mean, you know, the $14 million was was really like a three-and-a-half-month contribution, if you could think of it that way. Um, we we would think it would be less, you know, in Q3 and in Q4, but, um, you know, we're in the midst of the application process now, and we don't really have any clear, um, you know, outlook as to what the number will be. Um, you know, I think every company that received the wage subsidy was dealing with the kind of the same question about this, you know, what, what do they think they'll do and how they're going to disclose it, and we discussed various ways of doing that and decided to kind of keep it separate so 
We can measure our operating performance year over year, and particularly as we move into 2021. Yeah, we think about it the same way you've disclosed it, so we appreciate that. It allows us to back that out. And that just leads to sort of one of my last questions here, which is you give us nice segmented EBITDA for um, both segments, excluding Qs. And both, both the margins in both were well, well above both our expectations and sort of historically what we've seen you post. Should we be thinking about margins more in that ballpark um, as, we, as we progress into the back part of the year, most notably in energy services, which was in the high teens? Or should we be yeah. thinking a reversion back into sort of your historic levels? And if not a reversion, why not? Yeah, we, we well, we we our our target is to maintain margin, um, you know, uh, year over year at the same level. That's our target. Um, you know, it adds and flows with you know, COVID nineteen and these unexpected issues. But I think generally speaking, we showed that we can react quickly with our cost and efficiency programs. It's part of our DNA. So, but in addition, you know, we've had some. Um, we've done a, you know, with the, Rob talked about our our Montney project coming into play and some other growth initiatives from the past contributing to the business and our resiliency in the industrial service line. So, you know, our target is to kind of maintain and, and grow the margins year over year. That's 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 the impact to us, um, and that's how we kind of see it. So, I don't know if Linda or Rob wanted to add to that, but that's that's kind of how we look at it. Got it. So, I mean, you, you know, you put up 17.2%. We've only seen one other quarter since you guys have taken over that, that it's been up at that level. Um, but we shouldn't be thinking about a run rate up there. We should be thinking more about full-year margins being up year over year uh, yeah. rather than rather than sort of hyper-elevated. Yeah, yeah. That's a better way of thinking it. Got it. Okay, listen, thanks. I'll pass it back. Uh, thank you very yeah. much. Thanks, Ray. Thank you. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question at this time, please press star followed by one. And your next question will be from Keith McKay. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my questions here. I just wanted to maybe start with the shut-in volumes and your expectations there. Uh, wondering if you can give a little bit more color on you know, what you expect for the recovery in the volumes. You've mentioned that you're kind of seeing more, you know, more than half of the million or so shut in come back. Just wondering if you can maybe talk about how much of that, you know, relates to your operations and if you have any timelines for when you think the, the, the remaining volumes may be back online. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I guess the impact of the, the volumes coming back impacts all of Tervita's energy services portfolio and our TRDs water wells, um, you know, and in somewhat into the uh, landfills and caverns. So, it and, and on-site, it impacts us everywhere. So, because we have full coverage in the Western Basin across the whole the whole uh, network. Um, so, you know, we did start, as we mentioned, we started to see the green shoots sprout up in that, you know, June, July perspective. Um, you know, impacting us across all, all the basin. And we saw the return of the volumes uh, starting to come through in that, that period of time and also impacting our energy marketing um, um, portfolio. So, you know, I, I would say because, you know, we've always said in our energy service business, two-thirds of the business revenue comes from production. 
it's probably more now, given that drilling and completions activity is less year over year. Um, but, you know, that, that would be kind of how we would kind of look at it. I mean, Rob or Linda, did you want to add any commentary to this? I, I have nothing to add to that, John. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Thanks for thanks for the color. Uh, just maybe turning to the to the capital expenditures and maintain the 60 million guidance, which is about 27 million left. Uh, you mentioned a couple of the priorities that you've got for spending that money. Uh, maybe if you can just kind of run through the you know the likelihood of of you spending that number if your outlook holds of you know the primary production shut-ins coming back and uh, and and uh, um, drilling and completion activity staying low is it you know more likely than not that you'll hit it or 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 are we still thinking about uh, about uh, you know the, the various options there and managing liquidity uh, liquidity and free cash flow Rob you want to take this one uh, yeah sure thing uh, thanks for the question Keith you know I think uh, that number there there's probably that's a there's a good a good chance that we're going to hit that number given our current outlook for the way things are going. Um, I guess that's why we maintain the number when we're when we're, when we're providing our outlook. Um, the remainder of the year, we do have some earthworks projects on a few of our landfills, um, and as I mentioned, we do we are continuing to work on uh, tying in some wells that we drilled in the previous year up in our South Grand Prairie area, and uh, there continues to be opportunities to. Um, to spend, you know, small amounts of capital in that 500,000 to a million or a little bit over a million range, um, you know, in industrial services and other areas uh, with that provide pretty high impact and, and very quick uh, um, paybacks. Um, and we're going to continue to uh, to approve and execute those projects. And we have a small amount that's allocated to those uh, that aren't unidentified yet. So I think you know, and maintenance at 25 odd million, I think is a very good probability we'll spend that. And now, of course, if, you know, if another downward, downturn were to come, we have we have a fair bit of optionality and could pull that back somewhat. Um, and, and certainly the pipeline for refilling it next year, like we, like I said, we've paused all major growth and there is always a, a, a delay in, in getting, you know, growth projects going again, because you do need to, you need to do feed and planning and do your, your, uh, long lead, lead item purchases. So, you know, Q1 and 2 next year will probably be a little bit lower in CapEx, certainly than this year, because we had that, that Montney facility that was being completed. So, you know, our, you know, our liquidity and all of those things don't end at the end of the year. They're a con continuum and, and we're going to start to generate um, a fair bit of free cash flow uh, if, if we feel the need or the opportunity to do so. Okay, uh, that's it for me. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Next question will be from Peter Arendt. Please go ahead, Peter. Hi. Good morning. And uh, yeah, all things considered, good quarter. So congratulations. I know it's a lot of a lot of sweat went into that. Uh, but the um, just on the refinancing process, uh, discussions have been going on for really quite a long time now. A few false starts and things that just haven't um, happened. And could you talk about a little bit more detail about where you stand with that? And just maybe weave into that a little bit of a conversation about corporate governance. Um, how much of that really has to be a co-decision, if you will, with Solus? Um, 
a big equity holder, looks like one board seat. Um, can, can you talk about that? Uh, is, is there a, a refinancing solution here that, that doesn't effectively have to be signed off on by Solus? Um, yeah, it's John. Thanks very much for the question. So, um, as you mentioned, we're, we look, uh, we are looking at um, numerous avenues for the refinancing of our debt. We've continued to do that. We, we're monitoring the markets. We work very, very closely with our banks and our bondholders and to ensure a successful outcome. You know, the company is in a strong position in our view, given our production-weighted profile and the industrial diversification and, you know, a little bit candidly, the continued proven results. So we are very, very confident in our ability to get our refinancing completed well before these notes mature. And we are seeing signs of the high-yield debt market reopening, and we are ready for when that window opens. We, we do have a, a supportive bank group, and um, uh, and there's no discussions about any sort of uh, re, um, covenant issues or concerns. Um, so, you know, all in all, when we talk about all that, we're, it adds up to we're confident. You just have to persevere and work your way patience through it. In regards to uh, the shareholders or any shareholders, we, yes, we have a board member who's active part of that, and that's the governance of it. Uh, but we, we work on behalf of all shareholders when we do these transactions, and that's the approach that we're taking. So, Rob, did I miss anything in any of this, or Linda? No, I don't think so, John. You know, I would add that, you know, we're, we're definitely not being complacent at all, and you mentioned you know, the, the sense that there's been a bit of a delay and, you know, in Q2, I would say that's more a result of the uh, of the economy shutting down and the markets perhaps closing for a little bit there. But now that things are have stabilized, you know, we're back on the path. And, and as we've said, we remain confident that we'll be able to execute uh, something that's good for not only our shareholders and, and our cash flow and stretch strategy, but is also very amenable to the, uh, the existing note holders. At what point does this start to cause you business problems when uh, obviously customers can can assess your financial situation and they can they can assess what what's coming and at what point does it start to just harm the business that um, if it's perceived that there's sort of a, a game of refinance chicken that that is uh, developing? Well, just to be John here, uh, just to be clear, there's absolutely no issues with the, in regards to uh, currently. We certainly don't see that this year and next year. I mean, if we're up in you know 2021 in December that would be uh, problematic, but that that there are absolutely no issues or concerns with our customers on this matter. So, going current liability wouldn't wouldn't cause you business problems. Uh, no, certainly not now. No. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks very much. Thank you. Next question will be from Jeff Sederly. Please go ahead, Jeff. Morning, everyone. Just to follow up to that last question, so conceptually, when you look at the debt refinancing and your balance sheet, what do you want your debt structure to look like coming out of the refinancing in terms of uh, term debt versus bank debt? Well, we can probably, Rob, why don't you kind of give a highlight of what where we're at with that? I'm not sure we can give the exact detail of it, Jeff, but. Hi, Jeff. It's Rob here. Um, you know, I think just broadly, we would say, you know, while our our, our credit facility provides more than ample liquidity, uh, liquidity that we've never really needed, um, 
you know, through two major downturns over the last two or three years. Um, you know, we do feel that there's an opportunity to increase the size of that facility and, and have a, a, you know, a moderate draw on it such that we could have some easily prepayable debt um, and, and maybe some shorter duration, um, lower interest rate debt, and then have the, the rest be placed, um, you know, in the more traditional capital markets the, uh, and, you know, have some term structure to it uh, if, if available. But of, of course, you know, the size of that, that smaller um, smaller than US 590 would allow us to either tranche it out into two tranches or to keep it as one tranche depending on market conditions. So I, I guess the, uh, the structure that we would, we would prefer hasn't changed uh, from when we spoke last about it. Um. The second question just around the US business. So with, with revenue at a very minimal level now, what is your thinking on the U.S. business and the assets you have in the U.S.? Yeah, we we um, so we as you know we take take a kind of very thorough um, review of all businesses and we have a look at the forecast and outlook of those businesses and you know um, our performance. We have minimum financial uh, thresholds that we have to meet and there's capital allocation. So assessing all of that in our U.S. and our business, which was very small, we've taken steps to rationalize it down, Jeff, um, and moved out of certain locations, and it's at a very, very small material level. And you know, we 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 see really harvesting that, you know, going forward. Do you think Do you think having a presence in the U.S. makes sense? No, or, or is there is there advantages to consolidating entirely back into Canada? Yeah, we 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 see the the consolidation back into Canada in due course. Uh, okay, great. Thanks for the color. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Next question will be from Tim Monticello. Please go ahead, Tim. Great. Thanks, guys. Um, First question is just on uh, the capital prioritization stack. Um, you, you mentioned there's some opportunities to grow the industrial services business, um, and you know you're still pursuing some of the, the carryover capital from 2019 in the energy uh, segment as well. Um, and then you've got a backdrop of you know an impending refinancing. I'm wondering if these you know capital priorities are on hold until uh, that refinancing is done, and you know how how do you view um, growth initiatives in the context of you know the current market environment. Well, um, thanks very much. Uh, try to um, uh, kind of give you an overall of that, and the teammates will add to the details. So we're a cash flow generating business, and still, in spite of all the external factors, we are still a cash flow generating business, and are very proud of that. Um, you know, we have reduced our capital program into that $60 million range, and Rob highlighted the, you know, the components of it. Um, we are building up the inventory in our industrial service business and are very excited about the opportunities there in combination with energy services. We The refinancing does not have an impact on that this year and into next year, so we, we view them as separate, both important items to do, but... We don't, you know, one thing doesn't necessarily lead to the other, uh, certainly for this year. So 
you know, Rob, did you want to kind of add any more detail in that? You, you know, uh, it, it's a good question. You know, you would, you would, I think you, you might be led to think we'd be holding off on most things until the refinancing was done. But John makes a great point. You know, we're not in conversations with the banks regarding any sort of covenant relief. We're generating cash flow. Um, and when we're talking about the industrial opportunities we're finding, you know, the, the nature of that business, you know, that 17% margins this, this quarter, you know, those are elevated compared to, you know, the average. But, you know, it's generally a 15 to 20% margin business. Um, but its return on capital employed is very high. And the reason is the capital is quite low and the paybacks are very quick. And they're often backstopped with committed, you know, three, four, five-year contracts. So to, to spend a million dollars that pays back in four or five months, um, and uh, you know, adds to our, our overall margin for the year. You know, we're not going to back away from that. That's kind of rounding, um, and we're continuing to pursue those, you know, with success quite aggressively. Um, we don't see any any connection between. Um, the two, um, and we're not anywhere near the point where we, you know, need to say, you know, no, no further spending. We're having a bit of a liquidity and/or a refinancing crisis. Nowhere near that point. Okay, so safe to say or assume that um, most of the capital or growth capital expenditures uh, across segments would probably be in the um, sort of small denomination brownfield expansion type initiatives. Uh, incremental ones, yes. I mean, there are. There is one in particular where we've drilled some wells, very successful wells, um, and we just need to, you know, complete a pipeline to connect that to the facility so that the well, you know, that that sunk cost can have some value. Um, you know, that'll be a reasonably, you know, sizable uh, expenditure. But other than that, yes, you're right. Okay, great. Um, second question: uh, in the in the press release, it mentioned that there are some remediation project delays. Uh, in the second quarter, as um, EMPs were conserving capital, did that also have to do with um, EMPs sort of waiting to gauge the government abandonment program before making any moves on um, previous sort of um, plans in terms of abandonment reclamation spending? Yeah, it's John here. Yeah, yes, that would be our view. As uh, it, uh, and provincially, it's different. That's mostly in Al Alberta where that's the, the facts. Okay. Um, and then do you guys have a sense of, or a better sense now of what the size of the prize could be for you within that program and when you could start seeing um, inflows? Yeah, we still, it's 1.7 billion in total. And mm -hmm. we think that the total market, and it's, listen, it's an estimate. So it's gonna be, you know, there's gonna be issues with it, but we think about less than half of it applies to the services that Tervita provides. And so specifically, that's environmental services, reclamation remediation work, you know, metals recycling as pipe comes out of the ground, and then, of course, disposal into our, uh, you know, enviable landfill port, uh, cavern portfolio. So that, that's, that's the total market. You know, it's probably li uh, likely that some of this work gets done um, in the uh, latter half of this year, probably particularly Q4. Uh, but it'll be smaller jobs, and then it's, it'll build, we believe, in 2021, 2022, and 2023. That, from what we see and understand now, that's, that's our best forecast. Okay. Would you be able to share, I guess, like the dollar value of outstanding bids currently? Uh, no. 
Fuerza <risa> 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 Ya. Um, and then, uh, last question for me here, just on um, the the impact on, I guess, the volatility in the quarter on the marketing segment margin contribution. Um, how much has that impacted? Was it more or less than, I guess, the traditional facility-based um, margin contributions? Yeah, you know, like Q2 was materially impacted by the lower Canadian prices throughout the quarter and decrease in volume, you know, due to the shut-ins and changes in differentials. You know, so, um, you know, we, we do have 21 pipeline-connected TRD facilities, and, and, and it, it, that's one of, the, one, one of the things that we are enviably positioned once the energy market uh, recovers. Um, we did see, you know, that, that market is driven by production volumes, principally on truck as well as grade price differentials. And um, so, you know, the outlook of it was it was uh, still very profitable, but it dipped in the early part of Q2, but that, like we saw with production volumes coming back in, we saw that business starting to build back up and get into more of a normalized run rate that we're comfortable with. Okay, so uh, I, I would take that to mean that it was uh, the more stable part of the business? Well, you have to, you know, stability is is, <laughs> is relative in these times. Uh, um, yeah, I mean it. Sh it showed its resiliency, and, um, and and showed the kind of the comeback, kind of in line with our production volume, the industry production volumes. Okay, great. Appreciate. It. I'll turn it back. Thank you. As a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. And your next question will be from John Gibson. Please go ahead, John. Hey guys, thanks and uh, congrats on the good quarter. Just uh, following on to Tim's question um, on the energy or energy marketing business, is it are the margins more a function of incremental production or sort of the oil price environment uh, that uh, moves the needle in, in that uh, segment? Rob, you want to hack away at this one? Um, yep, certainly. Uh, John, just for clarification, did you say energy marketing there or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd um, say volume is the the single biggest driver of of uh, success there, and it's similar to our TRDs in that it's 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 obviously production backed or production um, based, and uh, the volumes we receive um, is the number one factor. Obviously, the uh, the margins or the differentials between all the various crude qualities is is the is the next. Uh, factor our our exposure to the full basin and almost all of the different locations and, and crude qualities gives us you know lots of opportunities to you know um, blend uh, blend and, and gain arbitrage uh, you know either you know up to sweet down to sour down to heavy or up you know in in, in any direction so if there's volatility um, and or stability at at reasonable prices then then you know that opportunity has typically always been there, and we've averaged, you know, reasonable per barrel or per cube uh, rates over time. Even this year, it's the volume that drives it. So, similar to you know the TRD waste volumes uh, from production tagged uh, activities, you know this one would go up and down with it. Okay, great. Uh, thanks for that. Um, second one for me, just do you think it's more beneficial to wait to refinance, sort of, you know, until the end of the year, maybe just given your positive outlook and how it's changed? Um, into the back half of the year, or is it just more timing of 
or a more a function of timing and then how the yield, high yield markets are trending. I think it's the latter, right? We're not going to be trying yeah. to be cute here. I don't think we're we're not in the business of trying to, you know, bottom tick a, a coupon. You know, we just need to have continuity of capital at reasonable prices so that our business model is effectively financed. So we're looking to do this as, as soon as practicable. Yeah, okay. That's correct, yeah. And then last one for me, just wondering if any of the wage subsidies play into your EBITDA calculations for covenant purposes. Yes. They do. Okay, great. All right, thanks, and I'll turn it back. Thank you. Thank you. Next question will be from John Berznicki. Please go ahead, John. Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, John. Hey, and my apologies. I'm joining kind of late, so uh, again, apologize in advance if, if these questions have already been addressed. But, you know, just given the fact you touch a lot of barrels across the basin, um, I wonder if you can get us, in general terms, a sense of, you know, how bad the shut-ins were in Q2 and, you know, kind of where we're at today by, you know, by different types of production. Yeah, kind of the overall shut-ins uh, for the industry was, you know, in that one, we believe kind of in that 1.2, 1.3 million uh, a day. Um and you know, we believe you're we're in that June July period. You're kind of less than uh, half of that now, and probably trending even better than that. So, you know, as you know, John, we we we've got coverage across all of the basins, and um, so the impact to us is across all of our TRDs and, and your know, water wells and those sorts of things everywhere. So and that's the sort of the green shoots that we see in our energy, our, our facilities network, and then of course in the energy marketing business side. So, you know, that that's what we kind of think of it now and what we've actually uh, seen. Got it. And, and would you say that, uh, you know, uh, in terms of shut-in today, would things be uh, obviously coming back more quickly, say, on a liquid side than the conventional heavy or, you know, a little, little granularity would be great? Yeah, I get that's where it starts to get difficult. Um, yeah. But I, you know, yeah. I, <laughs> it's you maybe know, I, I would actually say, say yeah, John, go ahead. Yeah. I would say conventional heavy, our, the heavy oil has come back on and we're, we're doing quite well. I think some SAG-D projects and maybe some bigger ones that need you know, it's a very big endeavor to bring back those um, those projects back online. So some of the oil sands, while like you know, heavy pricing is very good for them, and they could bring it on and then make money. I think they, you know, they're it's a bigger decision to do so. So it's been a little deferred. Um, that it, that doesn't that that volume, you know, sort of goes on a train or a pipeline by most of our gates. Um, so it's less less impactful on our business. But the conventional heavy oil and the troughs, you know, the the thermal uh, heavy. Um, that is is back online and our eastern region is is doing quite well. You know, same same with uh, I would say the South GP area. Um, you know, the legacy, you know, traditional conventional lights and 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 uh, and light sours are, are are a little bit behind as well. But you know, overall, I think our you know it's been level across our whole. Got it. Great color. Appreciate it. And, and just a second quick one. I noticed you've, you obviously did some, um, I guess, a bit of rationalization on the U.S. side. Can you kind of refresh kind of what you have down there right now operationally? Yeah. First of all, it's, it's, it's John here, John. <laughs> uh, it's it's not uh, material 
uh, of business. We had solid control type of work and some uh, disposal wells, mostly in the north, in the Bakken area. So as I mentioned before, we've rationalized the solids control and um, um, and then they're doing the same in disposal. It's, re it's really two things. Got it. Got it. Um, that That's it for my questions. Again, appreciate the color. Thanks, John. Yeah. Thank you. Next question will be from Greg Coleman. Please go ahead, Greg. Yeah, phone fixed. Thanks for the follow-up. Um, sorry to harp on the refinancing discussions, uh, and I missed one or two in the middle there, so I apologize if this was asked. But I'm just trying to reconcile a couple things. Based on your comments about wanting higher flexibility, i.e. higher bank debt, and lower term, i.e. the bonds, and our understanding of your permitted priority debt, it sounds like you're talking about your financial restructuring is going to look like a comprehensive package that has new lower term from a dollar per amount and new higher term, higher bank debt, rather than you trying to prime the existing bonds. Sounds right? Um, you know, I, I don't think we'd be looking to decrease the term structure significantly, Greg, but you're right. Uh, you know, we need to, to take out all of the current bonds to be able to do anything with the credit facility. So it'd be the, the whole stack. Got it. Just wanted to be clear on that. And then, and then just one follow-up on the energy services side. I was just wondering if you can give us a little bit of a history lesson here. Can you help us understand your production weighted exposure over time? Um, is your production drilling mix in energy services, is that mix approximately equal to what you saw in the prior downturn? And it could be a tough question. There's a lot of moving parts in the comparison, which is why I'm asking you. You know, with the acquisition of New Alta, the divesting of U.S. ops to uh, Republic back in, in 2015, you know, we're having a lot of difficulty doing an apples-to-apples -apples comparison. Can you help us understand, as you're, you're weighting your mix with production-oriented business versus drilling-oriented business changed materially over that time frame, or is it approximately the same now as it was then? Uh, it, that's uh, great. That's a great question. I mean, I think we'd only kind of give you an indication, which I'm not sure. Directionally, I would say we're more production-based now. We do know with the Noalta integration that that helped us become more production-based. I just, what we can't, you know, I, from the top of my head, unless Linda or Rob can recall, I can't kind of give you a back to the previous days what that base would be off the top of my head. Linda or Rob, do you, would you be able to help Greg here? I mean, no, you know, Greg, we've been in that two-thirds to 70% range um, over the last several years. I think before, you know, 2017, I don't think that kind of analysis is, is helpful at all. Um, but, uh you know, Q2 with both production and drilling and completion falling off to the degree it did. I don't think, you know, we have a really good sense of what the new run rate will be. Um, but John's comment that, you know, production rated, production-based revenues will likely, you know, be higher um, than than drilling, you know, in the second half of the year than our typical two-thirds to 70%. Uh, I think that's a pretty high probability. Uh, Rec-REM volumes, you know, which we do classify as it, it's drilling completions and other usually. So I think Rec-REM volumes, we see a pipeline for that into our landfills, even before considering the ARO program. And then the ARO program, to John's earlier point, has, has the potential to be quite material to us. So those those are things that might rebalance it or even bring it, you know, even lower than before. But those would be positive, positive uh, changes, not negative. 
Got it. I appreciate that taking a stab at it. Yeah, the reason we're looking at it is because that's the last time we had sort of, you know, the macro destruction that we're seeing now again. Uh, and yeah. obviously we know what legacy Trevita did at that time and also legacy New Alta, but looking to mash them together at the combined entity and compare. Because um, if you're approximately the same, then we would expect to see approximately the same. But if you're materially different, and it sounds like you are more production weighted now than then, then we would expect you to be different. Yeah. Yeah, we would kind of we would sort of kind of lean to being more production. We do know with Nualta we became that way. Got it. Okay, well, thank you for that, and that's it for me. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude the Q&A portion of today's call. I would like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Cooper. Thank you, Sylvie, and thank you, everyone, for being on the conference call today. Uh, just a reminder, a tape broadcast of the call is available on our uh, Tervita website. And we look forward to providing you with updates on our performance after the completion of the third quarter of 2020. Please, everybody, please be safe and talk soon. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Cooper. Ladies and gentlemen, this does indeed conclude your conference call for today. Once again, thank you for attending. And at this time, we do ask that you please disconnect through your lines. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.